0: This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats. Life Beats. With Sally Musa. Only on Pulse 95.
1: Sabah Al Khair and welcome back to Life Beats and Ramadan Kareem to all. We are. Uh, taking a look this hour at the shortlist for the Women's Prize for Fiction 2019 with Yara Bedri, a book lover and creator of the People of the Pages blog, novels reassessing the stories of women in history, from Pat Barker's retelling of the Iliad to Anna Burns's booker-winning story of a teenage girl during the Troubles in Northern Ireland, dominate this year's Women's Prize for Fiction list. We're also going to be asking how important are literary prizes? All of that and more is coming up right here on the Page Turner on Life Beats on Pulse ninety-five.
0: This is Pulse ninety-five. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. It's the Page Turner. The Page Turner. On Life Beats with Sally Musa and special guests. Celebrating Sharjah, the 2019 World Book Capital.
1: Yes, the Women's Prize for Arabic Fiction. Well, not for Arabic fiction, we've just had that actually. We've had the winner (laughs) announced, but the Women's Prize for Fiction 2019 shortlist has just been announced, and uh, there's an amazing selection of six books, mostly focusing on a retelling of history from a women's perspective. To talk all about it today, I'm so pleased to be welcoming into the studio, Yara Bedri. Welcome. Hi. So great to have you with us, Yada. It's your first time here on The Page-Turner. It, it is. It is our, our uh, segment now for celebrating Sharjah, the world book capital for 2019. Um, so before we kind of jump in, it's an amazing list of authors and books uh, this year. Let's talk a little bit about you. Okay. You are somebody who um, is a, a book lover uh somebody who set up the, the wonderful page,
2: people of the pages. Right. Talk to us about your love of books and where it comes from. I will. You've managed to get my introverted self. I think the only thing that will get me on the radio is actually discussing <laughs> books. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think my love of books started when I was very young. I think I was just given the right books by people to read at the right ages. And I think a lot of kind of fostering that love of reading is really about making sure that you find the right book for the right child. Um, so I think I had great teachers. I was taken to magical bookshops when I was young. Um, I think the kind of oral storytelling, you know, in our culture is quite big. Yeah. And so I think just that kind of love of story um, grew with me. And I also think that um, when you, you know, it was my, th- the thing that I was good at. So yeah. having kind of amazing English teachers, drama teachers, um, that in that space I felt kind of seen and heard. And it was, it was something that I just loved to do. So um, that eventually led to me studying English literature and then um, translating that into, um, how you tell brand stories in marketing. So I think that really underpins my kind of pro- professional ability to tell stories um, for brands. And yeah, it's what I love to do. Yeah, That's
1: amazing. You know, I, I just I love what you said. Um, you know, it, it was people taking you to beautiful bookshops. Yeah. It was your teachers who encouraged you, yeah. encouraged that love of books in you. Do you remember some of the books that stood out for you, you know, at such a young age yeah. that
2: made an impact? Yeah. I mean, I think Roald Dahl was a big one for me. Um, the Narnia series was of course. magical. Yeah. Um, sometimes I kind of see my friends' kids reading those books and it makes me want <laughs> to pick them up again. Um, do, do you know? Can I tell you?
1: Like as a, <laughs> as a parent who still reads those books to my kids, yeah. I love reading them. I still love reading them. In fact, the other day we ha- we were talking about uh, uh, you know re- why reading to young kids is so important, and mm. I did my first ever read aloud on air on radio <laughs> of the enormous crocodile. By Roald Dahl because it's literally—I still love reading yeah. that book, yeah. even if I had no kids to read it
2: yeah. to. It's just—it's joyful. It is, and um, kind of imaginative. The way children's writers are so imaginative in a way that you lose as you get older, and so it's amazing when you kind of tap into that again. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those those when I was a kid was probably and Enid Blyton and all those. I mean, I'm. I'm aging myself here. <laughs> no, no, no,
1: She's still a classic. My
2: kids yeah. still read
1: Enid yeah. Blyton, The Famous Five. We're, we're still there, yeah. you know. Uh, definitely not. We've had <laughs> generations go through these books. They are really, they're the classics that just endure, uh, you are. know, that take us to places that we've never been to before. Yeah. Uh, but talk to me about, you know, setting up the people of the pages
2: and, and right. why you did that now. Um, so I... I think I it was a way for me to share um, what I was reading and what I wanted to put into everybody's hands um, because there's nothing kind of sharing the love of a book and having a discussion about a book um, with other people yes and so um, it was just one way of doing that and I enjoyed it I enjoyed the creativity behind it I enjoyed the engagement and the discussions um, because it, it re- you really can build a community around those kind of discussions on Instagram, um, and Bookstagram is huge. Yeah, um, I didn't realize when I started how huge it was. Bookstagram. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of the the book people on Instagram, um, and you have varying degrees of them. You have you you have the ones who really focus a lot on on the photography, on the creativity behind that, and you know, you have the ones that really write very in-depth reviews, but it's it's the discussions that you have and the engagement that you have um, with people that you haven't met uh, about a shared source of, you know, a love of reading. Exactly. And it's, you know, those ideas that Perhaps, you
1: know, didn't occur to you before that a book suddenly uh, has just wide open there as well. We're going to come back in just a moment. We're going to continue the discussion with Yara all about uh, people of the pages. But uh, as well, uh, definitely uh, this incredible shortlist of six authors, six books uh, from uh, the Women for Fiction Prize 2019. All of that and more is coming up right here on Pulse 95.
0: This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. It's The Page Turner. The Page Turner. On Life Beats with oh, sorry, Sally Musa and special guests. Celebrating Sharjah, the 2019 World Book Capital.
2: Pulse 95.
1: Don't you love that? Sharja World Book Capital 2019. For a lover of books, what does that
2: mean to you? Do you know, I was I was thinking uh, when I found out about how I went to university to study English literature abroad, and who would have thought that I would be back in this country and have an emirate be named World Book Capital? Isn't that amazing? I mean, I think so much focus is put on um, this country growing and modernizing and the infrastructure and... You know all the tourist attractions, but there is a focus on culture. There is a focus on trying to build that cultural landscape that mm. um, I'm glad isn't being missed. Yeah, you know,
1: especially here in Sharjah.
2: Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a
1: city that is so big on books. Like, it's just incredible between, uh, you know, the Sharjah International Book Fair and the Children's Reading Festival. And it almost comes as no surprise at all to see it being named, you know, World Book Capital. It's incredible.
2: And it's good to get that recognition because I think people working in that space sometimes feel like they're pushing water uphill. Yes. And so kind of just to be able to be given that title and to be given that recognition, kind of gives them a little bit more drive to, to focus on continuing to grow it. So It's going to be amazing. Have yeah. you
1: seen the House of Wisdom that is being built? No. It's like this incredible <laughs> library. Ah, oh, stunning library that is being built here in Sharjah as well um, to mark the occasion. It's going to be finished next year, so we cannot wait for that. Um, but, you know, let's come back to uh, the, uh, the Women's Prize for Fiction 2019. Yeah. This is uh, amazing. It's a, a stellar list of finalists. You've got Circe uh, by Madeline Miller. It's on the list. And if it's uh, picked,
2: it's going to be her second. Yeah, she's a previous winner for yes. the Song of Achilles. So Madeline Miller is a um, a classics teacher. And um, so, she, so her thing is this kind of retelling of Greek myths. Um, And she won for Song of Achilles a few years ago. Um, And so, yeah, I'd be curious whether they'd they'd award the prize a second time to Madeleine Miller. Okay. Yeah. Uh,
1: So she's kind of the first one. We're going to go through some of these in in a lot more detail. Cersei is one of them. Um, uh, And another one that's kind of going into Greek mythology as well is Silence of the Girls by Pat Barker, um, who actually won the Man Booker Prize in 2005, For the ghost road
2: yep so i haven't read the silence of the girls but my understanding is it's a retelling of the iliad again so for there to be two books that are based on mythology is interesting um but yeah she's a very accomplished writer Mm. she you know so she definitely has a place there so i'm looking forward to reading that one Yes, this is uh, the story which uh, tells the story of
1: Briseis. Did I say it right? Briseis, uh, a princess who is made a slave to Achilles, uh, the man who killed her husband and brothers. The Greek myth and legend are uh, also uh, in this one, as we have been saying. It's
2: £30,000 for this particular prize. It is. Yeah. So, But in the grand scheme of things, is that a lot? Is that a lot? Yeah. I don't... I don't feel for the kind of effort and time that it takes to actually write a book Mm. that it is. Exactly. The Um, time and the effort. I
1: mean, it takes like a year or two years to come up with a book, doesn't it?
2: Yeah. yeah. So, you know, a lot of writers um, who don't win these grand grand prizes really have to supplement their life with with other work. I mean, it's very hard to be kind of making a living out of writing, I Mm. think.
1: Mm. We're going to come back to, to talking about, you know, whether these... Uh, prizes are, are are worth it, you know. Uh, is there something to be said to be a prize winner? Um, but we've also got here in this
2: list uh, Diana Evans's novel of relationships, Ordinary People. Yeah. So we're going to talk about Ordinary People in a bit more detail because mm-hmm. um, that's one of the three that we're going to review. But Diana Evans um, has not won this actual prize, but a subcategory of this prize before, which was the new writers uh, subcategory of. The women's prize for fiction so it's her first time on the main list but she's not kind of new to to you know being recognized by this this um women's prize she's an orange
1: award winner as well Uh, she was nominated for the andrew carnegie medals for excellence in fiction as well for this particular book ordinary people you've also got um last year's man booker prize winner yes anna burns
2: for milkman she's on this list too yeah so this book is very polarizing um it is um quite innovative in in its writing very stream of consciousness Um, i struggled with this book i actually was not able to get through this book really and there are people that have struggled gotten to the end of it have said it was worth the challenge and there, there are others that have not managed to finish it. So it's very literary. Um, and I think the Booker Prize likes to award that kind of innovation in writing. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure it has the kind of mass appeal that, uh, that, that a lot of other Booker winners have had in the past. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. But obviously they have want to give it that recognition as well. Yeah. You've also
1: got uh, Tayari Jones's novel An American Marriage on the list uh, after a big year of recognition for, for that particular book, including being long listed for the National Book Award and winning in the US the NAACP Image Award for Excellence in Fiction.
2: Yeah, an amazing book. It was an Oprah Book Club pick as well, which is always a good tick to have as a writer always and was on Obama's best books of 2018 as well. Sorry. So it's had, I mean, it's a big hit in the US. Um, and so for her to have this platform um, on a UK based uh, literary prize is is quite interesting for her.
1: The last one on the list is uh, Oyinkan Braithwaite's My Sister. The Serial Killer, uh, which also
2: won the 2019 Rooster through the Tournament of Books as well. Yeah, so she's a debut author. And I always find debut authors really interesting to kind of write your first book and find yourself on a shortlist for a a big writing prize um, must be quite life-changing. And My Sister the Serial Killer, I haven't read yet. I have on order now. Um, But is supposed to be quite... short, quite a quick read um, but also a read about kind of two sisters, one of whom keeps killing her boyfriends Mm. (laughs) (laughs) There's an interesting uh,
1: plot line for you Uh, We're going to be coming back in just a moment with you Yada talking uh, three books, An American Marriage uh, *Cersei*, and Ordinary People. I cannot wait to get stuck into these. More to come on Life Beats
0: (laughs) This is Pulse ninety-five. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. It's the Page Turner. The Page Turner on Life Beats with oh, Sally Musa and special guests celebrating Sharjah, the 2019 World Book Capital.
2: Pulse.
1: Yes, welcome back to the page turner Yara Badri, the creator of the People of the Pages blog. She is here with me talking through the shortlist uh, for the Women's Prize in Fiction for this year. The the winners are going to be announced on June the 5th I believe. Yeah, not long to go. Not long to go. Uh, So, but there are some brilliant picks in here. We are actually going to start with Diana Evans'
2: uh, Ordinary People. Yeah. So, we're starting with what isn't my favorite book of the three that we're talking about um but Ordinary People is um, to tell you a little bit about it a book that centers on two kind of disaffected middle-aged couples that have become parents and are struggling with the compromises that are having to be made after children have come into their lives and kind of the questions of not losing your identity and the everyday struggles of life. Um, And she takes her theme and the title, actually, interestingly, from singer-songwriter John Legend's song, Ordinary People. I read that and I thought that was really... And there are are a lot of musical references in in the book itself, um, whether it be about John Legend or Michael Jackson or... um, Gloria Gaynor, so there's, it's kind of something that she interweaves within the story. Um, it's interesting.
1: It's it's uh, I believe it's set in South London. It is. It is 2008. Yes, and the backdrop
2: is uh, Barack Obama's historic election. Right. So it starts opens up with a with a party to celebrate that historic elec- uh, election, and um, you know, London south London and its outskirts are very much kind of a character within the book as well. So one of the things I did love of, about the book is sometimes there are passages where it reads like a love letter to London. Mm. Um, are you being a Londoner yourself, you felt it. I felt it and I think, you know, you see it through the character's eyes when they're travelling on the bus or kind of their own nostalgia if they've moved to the, one of the characters who's moved to the suburbs um, looks at it with very nostalgic eyes and she really brings to life that kind of um, you know the mess of London and the 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 kind of energy and the daily commute and when you know the light hits buildings in certain ways and so if you do have that connection with that city, um, it is definitely something that kind of you you know you read the book with a lot of kind of warmth and nostalgia for that. So mm. so um, so you got uh, um, uh, you've got the couples there. Uh, yeah, you've got Melissa and Michael. Yeah, so Melissa and Michael are the golden couple, beautiful, two children, new house in South London. He's kind of feeling a general lack of passion in life um, and wondering where the love has gone between them. That kind of early infatuations disappeared. And Melissa is struggling with motherhood and her sense of identity and the change, the big change that's happened in her life since she had kids. Mm. And then the second couple, Damien and Stephanie are a bit more homely and settled. They're living in the outskirts of London. Uh, he is struggling with the recent loss of his father, but he's very out of touch with his emotions. So um, Stephanie is an interesting character because she's kind of a counterbalance to Melissa. Mm-hmm. So where Melissa is struggling with motherhood, Stephanie has always had this kind of clear and steady wish to focus on motherhood. But trying to find her harmony with a husband that's in crisis is... Um, proving to be difficult um, as it would yeah. as it would and what did you not like about the book I think that I th- I think it's partly intentional actually that their lives are not that story like mm. right um, I mean I think a lot of their struggles are very sharply observed and she writes very well about small situations in marriage that can become nuclear you know kind of the you know, can't find the fitted sheet, where's the fitted sheet, and how that kind of escalates um, into an argument, which I think takes a lot of talent because, you know, y- you have to understand human behavior and human the way people converse and etc. cetera. So I think she's a very talented writer. Mm. But um, for me, it was a bit flat. I think of all the characters, Melissa was probably um, the linchpin of the novel for me. And I think a lot of her struggles were very relatable. So, um, you know, she was once an editor at a fashion magazine. She decided to go freelance after the birth of her second child. And I'm going to read a little bit for you. Um, You know, she pictured a blissful new life of evenly balanced and creative working motherhood. She envisaged her baby dozing with the sun filtering in through a window while she sat happily at her desk working. And obviously she's kind of dismayed that she's going to these kind of baby sing-along classes and having to have inane chit-chat and I think you know as a character she's really well sketched so I think it's one of those books that I found readable I'm glad I read there were there were parts of it that I loved but I was a bit surprised to see on the short list because I think there were other books that I would have predicted would have made it uh, above this one. Uh, Including? Uh, So Normal People by Sally Rooney. Um, I've seen a lot of commentary about a book called *Lost Children's Archive* that um, that really kind of was a big shock that it didn't make it to the shortlist. So, okay. um, but it does take you
1: know quite a, a skill, like you said, uh, to take the mundane yes. and to kind of dig deeper yes. uh, and to to find you know the, the underlying meanings. Uh, that you know we experience every day in our everyday lives, but actually there's so much more to it than that. Yeah. Let's uh, go to the next pick that uh, you've got
2: on this list today. Do you want to go with America, an American marriage or yeah. Circe? So let's go with an American marriage. So an American marriage has already found its success in the US, as we were saying. Um, and it's about two upwardly mobile African-American newlyweds who really are ripped apart when the husband is sentenced to 12 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Um, and so Roy and Celeste are the, the, the name of the couple. Mm-hmm. They haven't even been married a year when he's wrongly convicted. So wow. this is set in you know, the South in, the, in America um, and it feels like a classic novel. It's interesting because it's not um, set in the past, it's quite contemporary, except it has that feel of a classic novel.
1: It's uh, interesting because I'm looking at the cover as well, and the cover looks like something from the '60s.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I think it's just kind of drenched in that feeling of of, of um of the South. But there are a lot of you kind of suddenly get surprised because there's a lot of slang that's thrown in that is very contemporary. So I I kind of like that mix. It's she has kind of a very unique voice. I think this writer. Um. So when this book starts out, you think it's going to be a story about this unjust system, this kind of fight for his freedom. Um, that's where you're expecting it to go. But it, it ends up being a much more delicate human story. Um, and it's told from the alternating perspectives of Roy, who's in jail, Celeste, who's kind of grieving the loss of her husband. And then the introduction of Andre, who is Celeste's um, friend, childhood friend, who she then takes comfort in. Um, And so there's a love triangle that's introduced, Mm. which complicates what is already a very complicated situation. And it's that tension that carries you through the book is, are they gonna make the right decisions? Are they gonna be able to hold on to love? Um, And then again and again, this concept of kind of what is your uh, obligation or duty uh, to somebody who you're married to. Wow, yeah, wow, that's very powerful. It is it is, and um I read a few interviews with the author with tayari Jones after where she talks about where the idea of the book came from, and uh, she's super intelligent. I mean, like sometimes when you read interviews with authors, you can see how deeply they've thought about the story yeah. and the characters and um and she says she was she was basically um doing research at Harvard about mass incarceration. So she had a lot of information, but she was struggling with what the story would be. And then she was eavesdropping on a couple who were arguing in the mall. Mm. And when she describes this couple, she says, you know, the woman was so beautifully put together. She was stunning, kind of well-dressed, and the man less so. And um, so what she heard is she heard the woman say, you know, you wouldn't have waited on me for seven years. And then the, the, the gentleman shot back, this wouldn't have happened to you in the first place. And so she took that little snippet of hearing that conversation and created this story. Wow. Um, based on that. That's and powerful, that's incredible. Isn't it fascinating where it they get their ideas from? Exactly.
1: I love yeah. that. You know, what, how, you know, just like an exchange, a, yeah. a two sentence exchange between two people can spark an entire award winning novel. Yeah. It's incredible. What did you love most about it?
2: I loved most about it the fact that it's told from the perspectives of the different characters in an alternating way. And every time you think that you have. Um, Chosen aside, uh, she complicates your life. Wow. Yeah. Because you, you, you kind of understand the perspectives of all of them. And even though all of them make bad choices at some point, um, she deals with it in a very kind of non judgmental way, in a very nuanced way. Yeah. yeah. And I, thi- I think that question, like the big question of, she said a lot of readers um, were very judgmental of Celeste. Mm. And I think it's true. If if it had been the other way around, r- would we have judged Roy in the same way that we judge Celeste? So she found that kind of question really interesting. Um, about how we kind of potentially hold women to higher moral standards. I feel like I need to read this book now. Yeah, this good. Is so <laughs> interesting.
1: I love it, and this is why we're doing this segment. Yeah, you know, to discover great writers and great books. Uh, we're going to come back in just a moment and talk Circe by Madeline Miller.
0: This is Pulse ninety-five. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. It's the Page Turner. The Page Turner. On Life Beats with Sally Musa and special guests. Celebrating Sharjah, the 2019 world book capital.
1: Pulse 95. Yes, we are talking the Women's Prize for Fiction 2019 with Yara Badji. Yara, I feel like um, this is really one of the favourites to take out the prize, particularly because, um, as well, it's uh, author Madeline Miller has done it before. Yeah. Um, Circe, a hugely popular book. Um, all about Greek mythology. And you were kind of going, this is not for me. I'm not into Greek mythology. Yeah.
2: But what happened? <laughs> so it was the book that I was least expecting to enjoy. And it had been out for a long time. I I kept discounting it. I kept picking it up at bookshops, reading the blurb and saying to myself, but I'm not into Greek mythology. And I hate those kind of books where I have to kind of hold the the family tree of the gods in my head and and, and understand who is who and how they're related to who like it just I just for some reason thought it was going to be hard work yeah imagine having a kid who loves Rick Royden oh my gosh yeah (laughs) and um I eventually I think the kind of the the amount of positive reviews that were coming out about the book and um you know eventually it's nomination on the long list mm. I, and a few friends who'd read it and said they enjoyed it who I trust um, made me read it and um, and I loved it I absolutely loved it I thought I think Madeline Miller is kind of the story sorceress herself wow yeah she, but, so if we kind of
1: um, go through the idea in the story yeah uh, apparently so in the house of Helios, uh, god of the sun and mightiest of the titans, a daughter is born. But Cersei is a strange child. She's not powerful like her father, nor viciously alluring like her mother. Turning to the world of mortals for companionship, she discovers that she does possess power. She does.
2: So when she's born, her father describes her as dull as a rock. And <laughs> there are a lot of comments about kind of her thin-pitched voice, which we later learn is the pitch of a human voice. So she's essentially a goddess that speaks in human tongues. And she's scorned by her family for being kind of not having the look of divinity or not having the voice of divinity and, and not having a lot of power. But it sounds very familiar.
1: <laughs> Does it <laughs> if you <laughs> kind of if you kind of you know trans transpose the ideas yeah. to you know the expectations societal expectations yeah
2: absolutely and and I think that's at the start of a bu- uh, the book you see Cersei kind of shunned by a family kind of miserable um, overlooked mm-hmm. in many ways and um, she finds the source of her power though in in a f- witchcraft through using herbs uh, which is forbidden to the gods. Um, so Circe ends up using this power once she finds it uh, to transform a romantic rival into a monster and therefore gets exiled from the land of the gods to an island. Um, and that's where the kind of the real impetus of the story starts. Um, she's misused that power, she's on an isolated island where she grows kind of in wisdom, in strength, and essentially comes into her own. Um, And on this island, uh, she's not always alone. Many pass through and, um, you know, she, she, they become part of her story. Mm. But I think what's interesting about Circe is Circe in Greek mythology, in kind of Homer's Odyssey, was glanced over in about a dozen lines. The story of Circe is not a big one, she's a very minor goddess, and Madeline Miller manages to to take this and, um, you know, make her a leading lady of her own story and and builds for her like this very complex life. And that growth of Circe from when she is in her father's court and uh, not at all, has absolutely no power and is kind of a meek child to, the goddess at the end that you see who, who has found her own strength and power in isolation is, um, is you know, a ca- kind of character arc that, that becomes really interesting. Because that's what we often see. We see those tropes of um it, you know the girl who's
1: either uh, the beautiful captive princess you know and and uh, and on the other hand you've got the evil witch who's too ugly for anyone to love uh but that's why you know these books are so important because we're seeing the retelling yeah um and the kind of delving into these incredible female characters yeah who are so powerful
2: yeah i mean i definitely think it has a bit of a feminist slant to it this book um the what Circe is actually known for in Greek mythology is um, is for stopping Odysseus from getting back uh, home after he's been off to war for years. Um, he ends up staying on the island with, with her for over a year. Um, and there's this quote from the book uh, where she pokes fun at that myth, right? Um, so I'll read a little bit there. Um, Later, years later, I would hear a song made of our meeting. I was not surprised by the portrait of myself, the proud witch undone before the hero's sword, kneeling and begging for mercy. Humbling women seems to be a chief pastime of poets, as if there can be no story unless we crawl and weep. Wow. Right? So wow, it, so it's I love it. C- it's kind of the retelling of that story where she's kind of this minor character, but saying, you know, maybe that's not the truth of the story. <sighs>
1: Another one that I feel like I need to read. <laughs> uh, we've run out of time, so I'm going to just just ask you very quickly, uh, who do you think is going to win? I know you haven't read all of them yet. I have You're reserving judgment. But I am. Um, are you feeling like Cersei at the moment? I think my heart is with Cersei. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think
2: my heart is with Cersei, But to be honest, I think uh, I, I don't like to predict until I've read the rest, so I have some reading to do. <laughs>
1: we love it Yara Bedri thank you so much for joining us thanks for having me on the page Turner what an absolute pleasure and just uh, insightful and fascinating incredible books I love this and can't wait to see who does actually win that's it for us today thank you so much Ramadan Kareem to you to you too that's it for us and uh, we shall see you again tomorrow from 10am right here on Life Beats on Pulse 95
0: This is Pulse95.
1: Tune in live every weekday from 10am.